0: Amen. So good evening once more everybody. Um, just as an opening, as we have in the outline, uh, everybody should have an outline by now. If you don't have, you can please get one from the ushers. All right, so we have an opening question. Um, today we'll be talking about you and your destiny, you know. Um, so we have an opening question there, and the question says that, are there things that you want to do, that you know that God wants you to do, that you know that this is the next level for you, that you want to do? But for some reasons, you are currently facing challenges, or you are facing barriers to doing them. Is there anybody that wants to share something that you know that this is what you should be doing next? But you're just like there are obstacles or challenges or something that's hindering you. Anybody wants to share? Anybody? You know that this is the next thing you should be doing. Or what you should be doing now but for some reasons you just have difficulties or things that are holding you back from doing it anybody that wants to share anybody in the choir nobody so everybody is doing exactly what they are supposed to be doing right now eh or you just don't want to share okay there's someone in the choir thank you very much for not making me sweat. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, one thing I can talk about is the assignments we were given in class. That's for the connectivity um, app thing. We were told to meet at least 50 people to tell us about ourselves and how they perceive us. I've only done five people. I'm not doing the rest of the 45 because... One, I'm scared of the um, feedback. The feedback. Two, I don't think we're really close for them to tell them accurate things about me. And three, I'm just being lazy. you just been lazy. Oh, okay. Amazing. Thank <laughs> you very much. Let's put our hands together for for Inka. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable. Yes, I mean, fear, uh, laziness, and uh, the fact you think that they don't know you enough to be able to assess you. Anybody else? I mean... That's like a trigger now. Anybody else has something you want to share? Okay, praise God. All right, there's none. We'll just go quickly into the text that we'll be reading today. It's a very long text, so please bear with me as I read it uh, as fast as I can. But please, as I read, just try and uh, concentrate so that we can uh, get the essence of the message. I'll be reading the book of Judges, entire book of Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7 book of Judges, chapter 6 and chapter 7. It says, yet again, the people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. God put them under the domination of Midian for seven years. Midian overpowered Israel. Because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves hideouts in the mountains, caves and the forts. When Israel planted its crops, Midian and Amalek, Amalek, the easterners, would invade them, camp in their fields... And destroyed their crops all the way down to Gaza. They left nothing for them to live on. Neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. Bringing their cattle and tents, they came in and took over like an invasion of locusts. And their camels past counting. They marched in and devastated the country. The people of Israel reduced to grinding poverty by Midian. Cried out to God for help. One time, when the people of Israel had cried out to God because of Midian, God sent them a prophet with this message. God, the God of Israel, says, I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from a life of slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality. And then from every oppressor, I pushed them out of your way and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am God, your God. Don't for a minute be afraid of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But you didn't listen to me. One day, the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in the opera that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, whose son, Gideon, was stretching wheat in the winepress, out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Gideon replied, with me, my master. If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about? Telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. But God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said to him, me, my master. How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the runt of the litter. God said to him, I will be with you. Believe me, you will defeat Midian as one man. Gideon said, if you are serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you are telling me. Don't leave until I come back and bring you my gift. He said, I will wait till you get back. Gideon went and prepared a young goat and a huge amount of unraised bread. He used over half a bushel of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and took them back under the shade of the oak tree for a sacred meal. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and unraised bread and place them on that rock and pour the broth on them. Gideon did it. The angel of God stretched out the tip of the stick he was holding and touched the meat and the bread. Fire broke out of the rock and burned up the meat and bread while the angel of God slipped away out of sight. And Gideon knew it was the angel of God. Gideon said, oh no. Master, God, I have seen the angel of God face to face. But God reassured him, easy now, don't panic, you won't die. Then Gideon built an altar there to God and named it God's Peace. It's still, that, it's still called that at Opera of Abeza. That night, this happened. God said to him, take your father's best seven-year-old bull, the prime one. Tear down your father's Baal altar and chop down the Asherah fertility pole beside it. Then build an altar to God, your God, on the top of this hill. Take the prime bull and present it as a whole burnt offering, using firewood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. Gideon selected ten men from his servants and did exactly what God had told him. But because of his family and the people in the neighborhood, he was afraid to do it openly. So he did it that night. Early in the morning, the people in town were shocked to find Baal's altar torn down. The Asherah pole beside it chopped down, and the prime bull burning away on the altar that had been built. They kept asking, who did this? Questions and more questions. And then the answer, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die. Why? He tore down the bow altar and chopped down the Asherah tree. But Joash stood up to the crowd, pressing in on him. Are you going to fight Baal's battles for him? Are you going to save him? Anyone who takes Baal's side will be dead by morning. If Baal is a god, in fact, let him fight his own battles and defend his own altar. They nicknamed Gideon that day, Jerub Baal. Because after he had turned down the Baal altar, he had said, let Baal fight his own battles. All the Midianites and the Amalekites, the Easterners, got together across the river and made camp in the valley of Jezreel. God's spirit came over Gideon. He blew his ram's own trumpet and the Abiezrites came out ready to follow him. He dispatched messengers all through Manasseh, calling them to the battle, also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they all came. Gideon said to God, if this is right, if you are using me to save Israel, as you have said, then look, I'm placing a fleece of wool on the... Threshing floor. If dew is on the fleece only, but the floor is dry, then I know that you will use me to save Israel, as you said. That's what happened when he got up early the next morning. He wrung out the fleece, enough dew to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be impatient with me, but let me say one more thing. I want to try another time with the fleece, but this time let the fleece be, stay dry while the dew drenches the ground. God made it happen that very night. Only the fleece was dry while the ground was wet with dew. Chapter 7, Jerubbaal Gideon, his nickname has already stuck. Jerubbaal Gideon got up early the next morning. All his troops right there were with him. They set up camp at Arad at Spring. The camp of Midian was in a plain north of them near the hill of Moreh. God said to Gideon, you have too large an army with you. I can't turn Midian over to them like this. They will take all the credit saying I did it all myself and forget about me. Make a public announcement. Anyone afraid, anyone who has any qualms at all, may leave Mount Gilead now and go home. Twenty-two companies headed for home. Ten companies were left. God said to Gideon, there are still too many. Take them down to the stream and I'll make a final cut. When I said, this one goes with you, it'll go. When I said, this one doesn't go, it won't go. So Gideon took the troops down to the stream. God said to Gideon, Everyone who laps with his tongue, the way a dog laps, sat on one side. And everyone who kneels to drink, drinking with his face to the water, sat to the other side. Three hundred lapped with their tongues from their cupped hands. All the rest knelt to drink. God said to Gideon, I'll use the three hundred men who lapped at the stream to save you and give Midian into your hands. All the rest may go home. After Gideon took all the provisions and trumpets, he sent all the Israelites home. He took up his position with the 300, the camp of Midian, stretched out below him in the valley. That night, God told Gideon, get up and go down to the camp. I've given it to you. If you have any doubts about going down, go down with Pura, your armor bearer. When you hear what they are saying, you will be bold and confident. He and his armor bearer, Pura, went down near the palace where sentries were posted. Midian and Amalek, all the easterners, were spread were spread out on the, on the plain like Swarms of locusts and their camels, past counting like grains of sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just in time to hear a man tell his friend a dream. He said, I had this dream. A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the Midianite camp. It came to the tent and ate it so hard it collapsed. The tent fell. His friend said, this has to be the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has turned Midian, the whole camp, over to him. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he went to his knees before God in prayer. Then he went back to the Israelite camp and said, Get up and get going. God has given us the Midianite army. Praise God. For sake of time, I'll just stop at this point. You can, when you get home, you can read the rest of the story. But the area that I've read right now captures the essence of what I'm going to be talking about uh, today. You know, um, we know the story of Gideon. Gideon was called to come and lead uh, Israel at a time where Israel needed a leader, Israel needed a warrior. And Israel was full of fear. Israel was full of fear. And the fear that encapsulated him would have hindered his destiny if he had held on to that fear alone. The truth is that fear is the biggest hindrance to, to, to people fulfilling their destiny. Because this fear usually will come in different forms. It comes in different ways to us. And, I mean, we go to our outline now. You know, I listed out, I mean, I put a lot of lines there which I would like us to fill. So, please, uh, the microphones ready. Is like, when, when that fear comes, it comes in different forms. It can come in, as an example there, it can come in the form of what will people say? What will people say if I say I want to do this thing? This thing that God has laid on my heart to do. This thing that God has instructed me to do. This thing that I know that is the next thing that I need to do in in, in my life, in my business, in my career, in my walk with God. What will people say? Another example of the way fear comes is that it comes in, in, in you thinking that you are incapable you can write that in the next line there, those places I put the dashes. You can see that fear can come in. I am not capable. Just like Dave, um, Gideon said here. He said, I am, I am a runt out of the, my families. You know, <laughs> when, when I read that scripture and it said runt, I, I just remembered long, 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 long time ago when I, when, when I used to have a pig farm. And you know when pigs they give birth to a lot of uh, children at the same time. I mean, I've seen a one pig give birth to twenty six before at the same time, twenty six piglets. Usually, when they give back, like that, there is no, not usually. Occasionally, there will be one that will just be like a um, not like the others, not as healthy, not as big. You know, just like a dwarf. So Gideon was here saying that. I am the dwarf in my family. I am the smallest. I am the least important. I am the least insignificant. I am the least powerful. I am the least knowledgeable. Fear can come in that form also. To tell you that you are incapable of doing the thing that God has told you to do. That's a major way that fear can come. It can come in another form. You can say, okay, this thing you want to do, it has not been done before. That's another way that fear can come. It tells you this thing you want to do hasn't been done before. And when it, 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 when it comes telling you that, it says it over and over and over again that we, we are tempted to believe it, to take in that story. Another, way that the, the, another form that f- this fear can come upon us is that it's not, it can tell us that that is not how it is done normally. It's contrary to tradition. That's not how things are done in our family. It's fair. Why do you want to be different? It's fair. Someone was telling me some time ago that uh, it was a young lady who wanted to get married. She was not the firstborn. I think she was maybe second or thirdborn or something. And uh, she had someone that was interested in marrying her. She had two elder sisters. But because those ones had not gotten married, the parents said, no, 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 you can't get married yet. You have to wait for your seniors to get married. That is the tradition Ah. And you know they can say those things to you so often that you even you will begin to believe it. Tradition. It's fear can come in the form of tradition to tell you, okay, this this, this new idea that God is dropping on your heart to do, it defies norm. It is not the way things are done. Fear, and it brings in fear. Because when when it tells suddenly that that's not how it is done, then you yourself begin to doubt what you want to do. And say, will this thing really work? This is not how they've been doing it. But no, you have to trust God. Another way that fear comes is that it makes us complacent. It tells us that, oh, I'm okay where I am. Where I am, this is my portion. I'm okay. I don't need to strive for something new. I don't, God, God, has, God, God has given me, God, God has blessed me in this uh, room and parlor. My father used to live in a room. Me, I'm in a room and parlor now. I don't need more. I'm okay. Praise God. Fear can come in all sorts of forms. Another form it can come is that it can tell you that, oh, no, 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 no. I deserve where I am. Fear can come in that way, telling you, speaking to you, and saying, No, I deserve what is happening to me. If you go into the story, the, the scriptures we read, the Bible makes us understand that the children of Israel had gone away, they had strayed away from God. And that was one of the reasons why the Midianites were attacking them and, and destroying their fields. You know, they will plant all year when it's time for harvest. The Midianites, they will, they will move in in drones. Not like they come in to steal. They come in, they build camps on their farm, on their farms, in their fields. They eat and eat until the place is devastated and finished, and they drive away all the Israelites. When they are done, they go away again. The next year the Israelites will plant again, then they will come again. And the Bible says that it happened for seven years. For seven years. As a matter of fact, when Gideon was, uh, was on that threshing floor where the angel met him, the scripture says that he was in hiding. Because if those Amalekites had seen him, they probably would have come to take what he was doing again. So we can get to a point where the realities around us, the things that has happened, the circumstances, the things that has happened around us, we begin to tell us that no, we deserve where we are. It's a form of fear. And we begin to forget what God really says about us. And just like, I mean, another another way that the fear comes again is it, 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 it can come in the form of us telling ourselves God doesn't want this for me, or we can say God can't, it, God doesn't want to help, or God cannot be trusted anymore. Because that was essentially what uh, what Gideon was telling the angel. He said, "Maybe we heard all the things that God did to bring us, to bring our parents and our great grandparents out of Egypt. We had all these things. So, if this God is still for us, why are we suffering like this?" In essence, was saying, "No, no, 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 God is not capable anymore. Maybe God is tired or is now old. It's the way that the fear comes and uh, that it comes and to tell us." What is not the fear comes in different forms. I still left some extra lines there, so I, I don't know. Does anybody have something else you want to add as an ex- expression of how fear can come apart from the ones that I've said? Okay, there's someone at the back there. Anybody else? There's someone else all there. All right, go, go ahead, ma. The one person front there. All right, go ahead. Praise God. Hallelujah. The fear of failing sometimes holds people back from fulfilling destiny. The fear of Praise failing. God. Yeah, you're you are afraid of the results, the consequences of, of what you are going to hear. Just like Yinka said, that, oh, I don't want to hear what these people will tell me. So because of that, I don't even want to go forward to ask. Fear of failing. Praise God. Yeah, this was the next person. Yes. We'll get the mic to us. Praise yes. God. Sometimes you, you will fear to tell out your profound yeah. testimonies. Yeah. Sorry? Your profound testimonies. Because of, you know, because of uh, some enemies around that you don't want them to know. So you will fear to tell it out so that they will not just block the way for you. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the fear of enemy attack. Yes. Mm. If you share this thing that God, God has blessed you right now. If you go and tell everybody that, okay, now you are a millionaire you you come over to your house. Something like that, right? They will not come in your house in Jesus' name. Yeah, but it's a valid fear. It's a valid fear. Praise God. It's a valid fear. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, praise God. Though she said it, but at times we have this fear of what if I couldn't finish it? What if this thing could not end well, as in... The sources of it, yes. That's what, it. what if you start and you don't? And you not finish, finish it. Exactly. What if you lose steam in the process? What if you lose, <laughs> run out of resources? Uh, what, what What will people say? How would you now look? Awesome. Praise God. One more person there. Yes, please. Quickly. Then we will move on. Um, when you're fearful, like fear can cause you to stop seeing the clear picture. Of what God wants you to be or do, and because you're afraid, you like be too afraid to like see what is right in front of you. Amen. Okay, praise God. So, when you are afraid, it can cloud your your um, your vision. your, Your what God really has said. Uh, okay, everybody that spoke earlier were ladies, so finally a man is raising his hand. Okay, let's serve you, then we'll move on. Inferity, uh, inferiority complex. It's Sorry? Inferiority complex. Inferiority complex. Okay, thinking you're not good enough. Yeah. Awesome. Thinking that you're not good enough, That fear can come in that form. When you look down on yourself and say, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no this thing is not for people like me. Yeah, it's not for people like for like it's not it's not for people that come from where I come from. That's inferiority complex. Thank you very much, sir. God bless you. All right, praise God. You know, so all these fair in the different forms and ways that they come, they they represent like giants because when they come, they they make us cower, they make us um, uh, run for protection, they make us want to hide. You know, so they come like giants, and giants are primarily there. For two, I mean, the way I put it, prim, giants are there primarily to either make us to fulfill this destiny or to hinder us from fulfilling destiny. You know, the story of uh, David and Goliath comes to heart, uh, comes to mind. You know, David had been anointed. I was going to be king, but he was not king yet. He was on the way to becoming the king. He had to, his father sent him to the field to where his brothers were in battle to take food to them. And he got there and saw Goliath insulting the armies of Israel for days, for days. And he couldn't, of course, he couldn't hold himself, he couldn't handle <laughs> it. So he saw this giant that all of Israel, including him, all of Israel had been seen. He saw this giant, the Israelites. All the others were seeing Goliath as the giant that was injuring them from moving to the next level. Goliath, sorry, David saw Goliath as a giant that would make him to get to his next level. So usually, it depends on how we see these giants. It depends on when this fear comes. How do we respond to it? Do we say, ah, this thing is gonna hinder me, or do we say, no, this is the opportunity, this is what is gonna make me? So when those when those giants come, there are a few things that they do in our lives. Because one, they come they, they come generally to intimidate us. They come to intimidate us to, to make things that that are That uh, that are happening, they make them to be bigger, to to be um, to to look out of proportion. They just come to intimidate us and say, no 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 no, this thing is uh, is bigger than it really is. They make us to feel small and insignificant. That's what the giants do. Goliath stood in front of the entire nation of Israel. And the Bible describes how big he was. That is, the, the head of his staff was, I mean, the staff he was holding alone, that it was so big that he had to have someone to even help him to be carrying it up and down. And his shield, rather. So, the, I mean, it was his size presented him to the whole nation as if all of them were like rats. And that's what giants do, they come to make us feel. Small and insignificant, they make us to feel like we have no voice. That we can't, we don't don't have mouths in this thing. We are powerless. That's what they do. the fear. They come to tell us that we are powerless. Giants make us to, to fear launching out. The Bible says that every time that Goliath comes out and he stands in front of the armies of Israel and he rains, he abuses, and he's shouting, the holy children of Israel will run and they will be panicking, they will be afraid. They will hide in there, inside their tents. This is what Goliath does. He makes us to be afraid to launch out, to go to the next level. The giants makes us feel like God isn't behind us or supporting us. You know, they make so much noise, they make so so so, so much uh, drama that if you don't really know your God, you you think that God is not with you anymore. There, there was this um, story I read I heard about a, a while back about um, one evangelist that went into a city to um, for a crusade. And uh, the crusade had happened, uh, I mean, it was a, uh, God had visited, people had given their lives to Christ, and he went back into his room to sleep at night. And right there in the middle of the night, he was on his bed, and there, it was like in his room, there was a lot of noise and shaking, wind blowing everywhere, and he, he, his bed, the bed where he was sleeping, it was like the enemy came in, of course, that is the bed where he was sleeping on. The the enemy started shaking it and actually moved it, you know. And he just said, "I command you in the name of Jesus to stop," and everything just died down. That's the power we have in the name of Jesus, and everything died down. And the 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 enemy or the demon actually manifested physically, looked at him, and he commanded me. I said, "Get out of here in the name of Jesus," and the enemy the demon had no choice, turned back, and started walking out grudgingly like this was the same person that was making all that noise, scattering the whole place, wind blowing everywhere. Then as the demon was walking out of the room, he just remembered the authority he had. He said, come back here in the name of Jesus. Carry my bed back to where you met it. And the demon had to come home and carry it back and put it there. Praise God. You know, but that is what the enemy does. He comes to us thinking, making us feel like we are powerless. He comes to us, tells us all sorts of stories, puts fear in us. That no, 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 you, you don't have power. But we have power in the mighty name of Jesus. You have power in the mighty name of Jesus. Because the power we have is not in us, it's not of us alone. It is of God that is in us. Praise God. So giants, again, can be of past failures, it, it, it brings us, it, 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 they, they bring into our remembrance past failures. The things that we failed on in the past. The giants, will, when they come, they'll bring it and make you, bring it to your remembrance. And like, ah, you think you can do this thing? Are you not the one that failed in the past? He brings it forward and tells us again that, no, you, are, you, you, you cannot. You failed in the past. Why are you trying to do this thing again? It's a waste of time. Who sent you? Praise God. Giants essentially they try, and p- they try to prevent us from walking in our destiny. They try to prevent us from walking into our destiny. They they create all sorts of blockages, delays, diversions, and distractions. Amen. So how do you know if, for a, if you are, yeah, there are giants in our lives? How do we know that we have those giants troubling our lives and our destinies? Uh, we, number one is that when we, when we realize that we have never launched out into new dreams and passions. When we look at our lives, we stop and assess and say, okay, the last six months, in the last one year, in the last five years, what new thing have you done? What exceptional thing have you tried to lay your hands upon? Apart from the norm. If you haven't been adventurous, if you haven't tried something new, maybe it's a sign that you have been intimidated, intimidated by giants. Another symptom is when you have never chased after something purposeful. You just like surviving. Just move, just do life, Jelenke. You know? don't don't uh, don't don't chase after don't chase after any dreams so that you, they don't they don't also come chasing after you you know like my sister said don't share your testimony don't do something amazing so that the world doesn't put their eyes on you you know another symptom is that when when you are perpetually running and hiding from things that are purposeful they give you you are in an office they want to the they, they want the, the the office is deciding to go in a particular direction and they're asking who wants to who wants to who wants to be the one to champion this project you run and hide why because you don't want to fail why because you don't want to be put in front of everybody you don't no, no. that's a sign that you have giants that you have to deal with another symptom is that when you look at yourself and you look back and you you realize that you have many unfinished projects and scattered ideas, but nothing is completed. You have plenty unfinished projects, scattered ideas, but nothing is completed. Another symptom is that you have no vision or you have lack of vision or inconsistent direction. These are symptoms to show that there are giants that, are, that you have to deal with. Another symptom is that you look back at yourself and you realize that you used to have big dreams. When you were growing up, you had big dreams. You wanted to be the next, uh, the next person to, to be on the moon, for example, But now you don't even dream anymore. You're just living life a step, a day after the order, a day after the order. You had high expectations of yourself, but now you don't anymore. You're just okay with how everything is moving. And finally, another symptom is that you live constantly in fear and expecting the worst to happen. There are people like this Everything, this, everything they want to do, it's always, they're always afraid. They don't want to just do anything. They're always afraid. They live in dread. Praise God. When you look at all these symptoms, you, I want us to just reevaluate and look at them and ask ourselves, where do we fall? If we're in any of these categories, then we need to have, find ways to deal with these destiny-indering giants. These destiny-indering giants. So one of the first ways, there are five ways that I just listed out here. Five ways to to deal with destiny in dream giants. And the first way is to embrace the love of God. Because the perfect love has no rival. We have to embrace the love of God. 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears is not perfect in love. Praise God. There is no fear in love. Put out that scripture again, please. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no no fear in love. What does this mean? The love of God... There is no fear in it. It's you, you. When when you love God, when you are in a relationship with God, there is no fear. Why? Because the love of God is is not the kind of love where you you find you may find discipline with God, but you hardly find punishments with God. Because punishment is, is, is different from discipline. Discipline is born out of love, out of an intent to correct. But the other way is, is, is uh, punishment is not like that. So when you are with God, when you are in a relationship with God, when you are in love with God, you, are, uh, you, you realize that fear is, doesn't exist When you want to begin to try new things, when when you want to begin to take new steps, I mean, challenge the norm, fear will not be able to come. Why? Because if you are in a relationship with God, you know that in all that you are doing, you are not alone. God is with you and God is able to protect you. God is able to protect you from every form of giant that may be. God is able to keep the giant silenced. Praise God. That's why the Bible says there is no fear in love. Whoever fears is not perfect in love. Praise God. Romans five twenty five, Romans five two to five, also says because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. That is when we we have challenges, that that we we can rejoice. When when, when we try something for the first time, maybe it doesn't work, we can rejoice. Because, for we know that they help us to, to develop endurance. Those are the kind of things that you'll find when you have a relationship with God. It helps us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Praise God. So perfect love has no rival. Perfect love has no rival. Praise God. So second way to deal with destiny-injuring giants is for us to face our fears. Say face your fears. We have to face Uh, Do we have that in our outline? There's only one page on this. Is it there? Okay. It's not in this one. Okay. So the second way to deal with destiny-injuring giants is that we have to face our fears. Face our fears. You know, as I was studying this, I... I, 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 okay, <laughs> the story we read Gideon God told him destroy the temple of Baal that is in your father's house he was afraid to do it so, but he, he did it anyway at night and they woke up in the morning and everybody was shouting who did this, who did this the person must die and he didn't come out but his father came out on his behalf and the father said His father said, who wants to kill my son? Whoever it is that, um, how did he say it again? That um, nobody must touch him. Let Baal fight for himself if he is really a god. And you know, that speaks to a lot of things for me because this was the man in whose house this temple was. His son broke the temple down. And he's saying, he, you would assume that he should be the one that is most upset, right? But he said, no, 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 no. Let this God, if he is really a God, fight for himself. That means that he himself all along probably was having doubts about the ability of that God. And and you know what? That is something also very common with these things we call giants. They make a lot of noise, but they know that they are not so powerful. You know, there's this um, song, this uh, old school song. I'll sing it in Yoruba, and I, I don't know if you know it, but I'll interpret it. The song says, I didn't know. I don't know if I sang it well, but. I thank you well. Okay. <laughs> the meaning of the song is that what is in this uh, dark forest that every night is just saying, mahuru, mahuru, and scaring everybody? If you want to come out, come out. If you're not coming out, stay there. But stop shouting, Mohuru, Maru!"!" <laughs> that is the reality. These giants that are shouting, if they are really powerful, let them just touch you now. But they can't because you have a big God. So what do you need to do? You need to face your fear. The way, the way Gideon's father faced this fear, I said, ah, what? If you are really God, fight for yourself. We need to face our fears. We need to stand and look at the, at the fears in the eyes and say, do what you want to do. We say it in secondary school those days. Do your worst. Yeah, let's see what let's see what you can do. Let's see how bad you are, really bad. You know that evangelist that looked at the demon and said, Come back here, carry my bed back to where it was. How dare you? We need to confront our fears. Confront, face those fears because it's just a noise maker. Praise God. Just like Goliath is just the noise maker. How to deal with it? The destiny in ring number three. I called it, I just said, clear the road. Clear the road. What do I mean by clear the road? A number of times when we get light, we've been talking about light, when we get light like this, you actually need to remove all the things physically, spiritually, friendly, all sorts that have been hindering lights from shining on you. Clear the road means that you need to actually begin to replace ideologies. Things that have been cultural. Things that have been embedded and sold to you subconsciously. That is hindering you from moving into your destiny in God. You need to now begin to renew your mind with the word of God. And be telling yourself, what does God really say about you? Not what does the culture say about you. You have to begin to clear the road, all the garbage in you, all the garbage that is around you that is hindering light from shining. Clear it off. Clear it with the word of God. Say it out. Speak the word. Say, say it. Speak the word. The more you speak it, the more easily they will crumble away. Every time they rear their heads. Using the word of God is like a stone in the spirit. All at the forehead of an opponent. It's like what David practically did to Goliath. Using the word of God, I come to you in the name of the Lord. The, God of, of, of the Lord of hosts whom you have defiled. And he took a simple stone. And use it to take down a mighty Goliath. You have to use the word. To cleanse your system. Isaiah 57 verse 14. It says build up. Build up. Prepare the way. Take up every stumbling block. Out of the way of my people. It's important. Praise God. Okay, praise God. Fifth, uh, Fourth uh, point or fourth um, way of um, how to deal with destiny in dream giants. The fourth way to deal with destiny in dream giants. It says we have to, um, I say you have to put on new glasses for a new season. New glasses for a new season. Where you have been hiding for too long when you have been hiding for too long, when you come out into the lights, the light at times may be too much. You need to put on a little bit of glasses to shield yourself and and adjust. You have to start dreaming again. You have to start dreaming and moving towards the goals and the way God created you to do and you have to be deliberate about it. You have to start catching a new vision. If you've been hiding, you have to begin to now bring yourself out of that hiding deliberately. Start reading. Start engaging material. Start engaging with, uh, with, I mean, you, you need to change your friends. The people that you are working with, people that you are dealing with, that you are moving around with, you need to change them. Because you are moving into destiny now. You don't want to be God wants you to be flying with eagles. You need to leave the chickens behind because the chickens are not flying. You have to change your perspective. You have to change your views to life. And the final one, the final way to deal with destiny in dream giants is that you have to now surround yourself with giant killers that surround surround yourself with giant killers. Second Samuel 23 gives the roll call of the people that were David's uh, generals. You know, if, if you get them you can read them when they were talking about what these people did. Now, they these all start out from day one as mighty warriors, but every one of them from day one had the potentials to be mighty warriors. Because there were people that had been, they were rebels, let me put it that way. I think 2 Samuel 21, that, 2 that, Samuel 12, or 12, yeah, I think, that actually talked about how they began to move and join, the, join David. And there were about 400 when they all initially gathered and there were just a bunch of riffraffs. But just a couple of chapters down the line, they were now mighty warriors. One of them fought in a battle so bad. He fought so well, killed everybody that when the fight was over, the sword he was using had had gotten stuck to his hand. They could not remove it again. Meaning he's ready to just keep on going. Praise God. Mighty men. Mighty men, even, even the, uh, this, the scripture we read, when, when Gideon wanted to go into the, ha- into the camp of, of uh, the Midianites, God had to tell him, okay, if you are afraid to go alone, get someone to join you. Judges 5-7. Okay, no, no, no not, not that one yet. You know, he said, if you are, if you are afraid to go alone, he said, go with, uh, um, I'll read it, yeah, verse um, da, 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 11. Judges 7, 11. But if you're afraid, Judges 7, 10. It says, but if you're afraid to go down, go, to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So God was saying that go with a, a, a fellow giant killer. Move with people that would shape and help to encourage you. Not people that will distract you, but people that will encourage you that are on the same mission with you. Judges um, seven, five to seven, also talks about even how he selected his 300 men. You know, when, when <laughs> I'll just backtrack and just do a quick recap. They went to the, uh, they, God told them to go and fight. He mustered the people that would go. God said, no, 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 they are too much. Reduce them. How do I reduce them? God said, all those that are afraid, all those that are living in fear, all those that believe that they have giants chasing them, send them back home. And so what did he do? He told them, anybody that is afraid, they are free to go. No Allah. Out of 30 companies that he had, 20 of them left. So he thought, ah, even this is smaller. But God said, no, 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 they're still too much. So God was saying that the people that are living in fear, God doesn't have use for them. Go home. So the 10 company that was remaining, God said, no, they're still too much. I have a special selection criteria. So he took them to the river. He said, only those that lap water with their tongues from the stream, they're the ones to follow. What that means is that they, they are not kneeling down to scoop water like this. They are lying flat on the ground, then they are licking the water with their tongue. Who does that? No, think about it. Who does that normally? The kind of people that will do that normally are people that, are number one, they are not afraid of their life, they are not afraid of anything. They are ready to, the kind of people that are ready to make jest of themselves. The kind of people that don't take themselves too seriously. And they are committed. Any, just let us, let's just do this thing and keep everybody okay. And those are the kind of people that God is looking for. And when God selected those 300, they were more than enough to, dis, to take out all of the Midianites. Because God, we need to understand something. When God wants to use us for battle, all he just wants us to do is essentially stand. The battle is his. He just needs us to stand. That's all. He just needs us to stand. Because what did they do? Even that 300, (laughs) Gideon said, oh yeah, go into three different camps. We stand in three different directions. Hold one-hand sword, one-hand on. Blow the horn. And as soon as they blow the horn, the scripture says that the Midianite swords turned on themselves. That means if the guy is holding the sword to go and fight Israel, the thing will just turn on his own brother. God himself. All the children of Israel needed to do was stand and blow the horn. The rest was left for God. We need to understand That when God says it's time for battle, when God says it's time for us to go and fight, the fight is not ours. Just stand. Just stand. And you will stand in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. There the battle the a and